welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. Happy Tuesday to you guys. I'm your host, Tom Reed. I'm being joined today by our fine beat writers, Dave Molinari and Taylor Haas. How are you guys doing today? Fine. Good. Thanks, Tom. Good. Great. Uh, Penguins on a, on a roll here. I think four out of five. Coming off the 3-2 win against the Islanders on Saturday night. And tonight they will be in Washington for the first of two games. It just seems like it's Washington and the Islanders. Washington and the Islanders rinse repeat right now. But uh, two more very important games coming up in this tightly packed East Division. But I think we'd be remiss if we did not at least uh, reflect a little bit on the man who was honored on Saturday for his 1,000th game. Sidney Crosby and um, really nice ceremony. I don't I think you guys would agree. It was they did a really nice job. The team did a nice job. He seemed to really be touched uh, by it. It looked like at one point he was getting a little glassy eyed there, but let's start out with this. Uh, let's, let's look forward. When I watched Sidney Crosby play this year, he looks like he still has a lot to give in his game where we're talking. We were talking so much this year about Malkin who, you know, what's going on? Why can't he get it going? Uh, we've had some of those similar discussions with Latang. I think Sid looks great. Now, he's not in the top 50 of scoring, but part of that is because I don't even think they're using goaltenders in the Canadian division. They've, everyone's got like 30 points up there. And, you know, the, just the Penguins power play has kind of not been very good. So it's kind of prevented Sid from maybe gathering some more points. Dave, when you watch him play right now, what are you seeing out of this guy? No, he's a, he's a guy who's certainly, you know, it, it's uh, you know an understatement to say he's still very much a top six forward at this uh, stage of his career. Uh, his game has evolved over the years. He's not the explosive offensive talent that he was early on, but he has. Uh, developed into a uh, very good 200-foot player. His defensive game is very good. It's not something he ever neglected, but, you know, he just learned to uh, to be better in, in his own zone over time with experience. And, you know, he's such a, uh, a student of, of the game, such a sponge for knowledge that he has just soaked it up and, uh, you know, used it to his advantage. And, Looks like he could continue to fill a prominent role uh, for for a good team uh, for several more years at least. So, Taylor, I'm not suggesting that, that he's going to be playing at age 50 and playing center in Kladno for the 64-year-old Yarmer <laughs> Yager. But he does, as Dave mentioned, looks like he has two, three, four, at least two, three, four seasons left in him with the way he's playing right now. And I wanted you to, to pick up where Dave mentioned about the kind of the evolution of his game. Some guys kind of go one way for so long and then that's it. They don't have that other parts of their game to fall back on where it seems like he has really developed every part of his game. Yeah. I mean, you remember early on, he wasn't really, you know, that great at, at face-offs, but then, you know, he just he added that, you know, as he went on. And there are just so many, like, maybe overall not, you know, the top forward in the game anymore, but he still has elements of his game that that are, like, uh, what sticks out. I, Dave actually asked Sullivan the other day, um, you know, what if you could 
take one aspect of Crosby's game and give it to the rest of your team. And Sullivan said, like, the way Sid plays below the goal line. Like, that, like, no one's better than than Crosby. So um, he just has those those different elements of his game that, that uh, makes him what he is now. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you – Let's let's look back a little bit on on the thousand games and kind of like the the breadth of his career. One thing that's always stood out is obviously even the name of our podcast is sixty six to eighty seven homage to uh, the great Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby. Uh, Dave, when, with Mario, he did have two acts to his career. He you know he he he, he was just to me right with Wayne Gretzky as 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 great, almost as great as Wayne Gretzky was. And then, you know, the injuries, the back injuries, the, the battles with cancer, he, he, he retires and comes out of retirement and was still a very good player, but wasn't able to kind of ever get quite back to that championship level. And in part, because the team wasn't quite there, they were certainly going through some financial issues uh, where Sid came back, you know, there, there was a stretch there in the early part of the last decade where, his career looked like it was in jeopardy with the concussions. And yet he's bounced back, won two more cups, continues to be a tremendous player for Canada. I'm so impressed with his second act. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it certainly has helped Crosby that he has had a stronger supporting cast around right. uh, than Lemieux did when he came out of, uh, you know, the first time he took a year off. Uh, in, in the mid-90s. Uh, by that time, as you mentioned, the Penguins were hitting some financial issues. They weren't really able to keep uh, keep the band together anymore. Uh, whereas with the Penguins, they've done a pretty good job of, of keeping their their core of guys like uh, Malkin and Latang, you know, intact in to, uh, to go along with Crosby. And, and that has certainly helped... Uh, with some of the successes he's had in Pittsburgh since then has nothing to do with the, uh, the success he's had internationally with Canada though. And uh, he has certainly uh, left a, a uh, his mark on the game in that regard as well. Taylor, jump in there. Yeah. Um, the second part of his career. Well, first I thought it was interesting uh, the day of the, the set, the a thousandth game I tweeted, like, you know, what was your favorite of the other one uh, of the other uh, 999 and, um, most of the answers were that comeback game um, against the Islanders in 2011 because a lot. I mean, we didn't know if he was going to play again. Yeah. So for, for you know, to him to come back and just have this the second half of his career to uh, add two more cups, uh, it really just speaks to. Uh, I mean, what kind of player he is. Dave, let's let's go international just for a second here. I, I know, obviously. Here in Pittsburgh, we, we, we know about the Cups. For me, the, you guys just mentioned, and, and I, I, I completely see where you're coming from with, with him coming back. This goes back a little bit before the before the uh, the concussions, but just the golden goal he scored in the Olympics. I mean, Canada always talks, has talked for years about the, you know, the Paul Henderson goal and what an incredible series that was with the Russians. For the younger fans, I, I think that was one of the great hockey games. And we're, we're doing this, by the way. We're, we're talking about this on the day. The U.S. is 41 years, I think, since the uh, since the miracle on ice. But that game and that goal is, to me, one of the, the great goals in international hockey history. 
Uh, yeah, it's probably right up there. I, I'm not sure that I would put it quite on the level as the uh, Paul Henderson goal, just because of the circumstances, yeah. uh, you know, in the world back then. Um, and, the, you know, the fact that that was an eight game series between Canada and the Soviet Union. I mean, it was, you know, there were many political overtones to that uh, as, as well as, uh, you know, the on ice sporting ones. But no, I, certainly for uh, the younger generation of fans in Canada, I think, you know, Crosby's overtime gold medal winner against uh against the U.S. in the 2010 games in Vancouver uh, is an indelible memory that, you know, will uh, endure every bit as much as uh, Paul Henderson's uh, performance in uh, the uh, in game eight against the the Soviets and his uh, series winning goal, uh, you know, had for for fans of that vintage. Taylor, what do you recall about that 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 play that 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 Olympics in Vancouver? I know you're the youngest of our group here, but uh, do you remember watching that game? I'm not going to ask you about the the U.S. beating Russia in, in 1980, but as a young fan, what do you recall about seeing that game? I mean, there was a lot of pressure on Canada to win that. That was in Vancouver. Uh, boy, you lose on home ice to the United States, a team you're always kind of expected to beat in Canada. And boy, that, that would have, that would have left a mark for, for that country. And yet there he comes through uh, in, in a really pressure situation where they had just given up the tying goal late in the third period. And the U S had all the momentum. Yeah. I remember that I was, um, I was a sophomore in high school. Um, for those Olympics, I, I, I was actually pulling for Canada in, the, in, 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 the, in men's hockey. Um, no, I remember watching it and uh, just seeing, seeing it go in. And I love, um, uh, there's like a compilation video on YouTube of just uh, him calling for the pass from McGinley. Um, and you hear it like it's so like it's so loud when he calls for it. And you hear it on like every broadcast. I, I sometimes I'll maybe like link the video in the comments or something. But it's so cool. It's like you hear every broadcast in every language and him calling uh, like Iggy in the back of it. So yeah, it was cool for that. Um, you know, Crosby, one of the younger players, and uh, just what it meant for that team and and some of the older players on that team too. Obviously, we started this segment by, by, by saying that he still has much to give. But, um, Dave, you've been fortunate, obviously, to cover Mario's career. Um, you've seen some of the other great players in your time. You've saw Gretzky's career, Messier's career. Uh, where does this guy rank? I mean, is, 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 is it at least 10? Is that is that fair even now before he's – He's got a couple more years to say he's a top 10 player. Uh, no, I, I think it's fair to, uh, to put him top 10 now. I think it's conceivable that he will end up on some, at least some people's top five lists uh, by the time he's done. Um, I mean, I can only go back as far as the invention of artificial ice. So there, you know, there are a few guys that I missed. But uh, certainly in, you know, my experience of covering the NHL since 1983, 
uh, you know, he would be top five in that time frame for sure. And uh, I, you know, I would not want to have to make the case for excluding him from from a top ten list. Yeah, and Taylor, again, you're the you're the youngest of the group. Uh, the the, the, the the, the changeover, I guess, what happens when we go back and look at like the dynastic Canadian teams and John Veliveau's name is going to come up there and Rocket Richard is those teams were able to stay together. Those guys would like win. There were, there were I don't know how many of those guys won like seven, eight Stanley Cups. Uh, he has done it. And when I say he, I'm talking about Sidney Crosby has done it in an era where there's so much parody because of, of free agency and because guys are moving around so much, does that give him a little bit of, does that, does that in your mind allow him to bump up a little bit because he has not been able to control his teammates all the time. They would have loved to keep a guy like Nick Nino as a third line guy, but that they just couldn't. Uh, and yet his, his play has kind of stayed at a very high level. Yeah. And I think, because if, if we're talking top five, a, a couple of the other guys that would be like in contention for that number five spot um, are from those Canadian teams where they just got all the good players from Quebec. Like, Because, uh, I mean, if, if we are talking about top five, I mean, we're talking probably about number five, right? If you assume the top four, um, whatever order you think, Gretzky, Mario, Howe, and Orr, um, Crosby, I, I know, I think I'd have him number five if you look at like other – list of like guys who would be in, in that spot but um I think uh given the era he's played in um and really everything he's he's gone through I mean if if he didn't have like the injuries and all I, I don't think it would be a question um if you look at like the games he's lost due to injuries or um like the lockout uh shortened season or I mean the pandemic he's missed um 253 games like we should have been celebrating this a thousand game Mark three years ago. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, especially, you know, taking into account all these went through, I think he's number five, like no matter what. All right. Very good. We'll be back with you in a little bit later in our show. We're going to be really happy to welcome Ken Campbell in the hockey news. So please stay with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. We're going to be joined shortly by Ken Campbell uh, from the Hockey News to break down some Penguin stuff and some stuff around the league. But first, I want to get your guys' thoughts on a few topics here in our second segment. And I've been kicking around this idea for a little while now. In the last couple of years, obviously, have not been great for the Penguins as far as the playoffs. Uh, after winning back-to-back cups, they were bounced by a, a very tight-checking, strong Washington team that went on to win the Cup. The next year, they didn't even win a game. They were out in four games against an Islander team that it, run by Barry Trotz that we know uh, he demands che- their checking coming off the bus. And it really, the Penguins struggled. And then last year, not a team as physical with Montreal as some of the, as the Washington and with the Islanders, but also they were very tight-checking. And I'm wondering... In this division that they're in right now, in this situation where they are playing eight games against teams like the Islanders, teams like Boston, uh, teams like Washington, I think if they can make the playoffs, I think they're going to be better prepared 
this year to play in those type of games because that's really all they've been doing uh, against the top teams in the division if they make it out. Am I wrong on this, Dave? Or where, where do you where do you does it help them, or do you think it's not going to make that much of a difference? Uh, you know, honestly, Tom, it, it's hard to say because there's just not much precedent for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this many games inside the division, uh, and a division with uh, you know so many good teams that uh, can play uh, so well defensively. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of tough to. Uh, to project how, you know, what impact, if any, that might have in, in preparing a team for the playoffs. I, you know, you can certainly make a case that, you know, facing that sort of uh, opposition on a regular basis will, will prep you. But on the other hand, you get into a playoff series and it's, you know, it's a whole fresh start, a, a whole different world. So, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see, you know, the, the precedent for such a thing will, will be set uh, this year. Taylor, my, my thoughts on this to expand my, my thought on it a little bit more is that in years past, and I'm not just talking about this team, but any team in that division, if they if they had rough stretches against the, some of the better teams in the division, and at that time it did not include Boston, but you could go out and pl- go out and play out in West where some of those games for both teams are just like there's not a lot of emotion sometimes when you get out of the division. And you can you can really rack up some points against some of those teams with the talent the Penguins have. There are very few nights off right now in this division. Uh, you know, Buffalo is kind of struggling. The Rangers are, are losing some key players. Uh, we saw today Artemi Panarin is not going to be. It's going to take a leave of absence for personal reasons. I think it does help them. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I don't know if you can say it helps them because every team in the division um, is in the same situation. And if you look around the division, other teams are also having these very close, like one goal games. Um, we, I mean, we've seen a lot of there's a lot of like overtime points being awarded. Um, so I don't know if this necessarily helps the Penguins. I think it means that the playoff games are going to be a lot closer, a lot tighter because. Um, teams are just going to know each other that much better. Um, and they've, and they've played games like this before. So I don't know if it helps the Penguins, but it's definitely going to, I think, have an effect on the playoffs in some way. Yeah. Again, I just think that, that, that so much of their game in the past has been predicated on skill that sometimes when you get in those playoff games and some of that's taken away, they're now more used to playing this. They've been playing this way all season. We'll see. You're right. Oh, and, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, something to keep in mind, you know, with very few exceptions over the years, you've got to play well defensively to to win championships. Yep. Uh, you know, that's no surprise to the Penguins having won a few championships, uh, in, you know, in the past decade or so. So, you know, I, I, I'm just not sure that this is going to uh, have a profound impact on, on them, uh, assuming they qualify for postseason play. I mean, the biggest thing I think is, you know, that will take them far in the playoffs is they need to have four complete lines, which they don't have right now. Um, yeah. I mean, we're talking about how the fourth line doesn't have an identity. That's because the what should be their fourth line is playing as their third line um, because they don't have anyone they can play that third line role. If they can get like a real third line and then uh, – 
that asterisk Bluger Tanev line, that's like the perfect fourth line. That'd probably be the second best fourth line in the league. Um, I, I They need to figure out a way to have a third line. I, and that's going to have to come through moves because they just don't have the personnel um, to put together a good one that would have like a real identity that could also score too. Um, I mean, if, if they can get that and have be able to roll four lines in the playoffs, that's what I think would is what would make a difference, not necessarily this uh, gate like play like what we've been seeing before. Well, that's the thing. I mean, is that that fourth line is now their third line, right? The, yeah, the, like the, the Astros. Yeah, that that I mean, they played um, like third line minutes last year. Um, they really kind of made the third line of fourth line minutes even last year. Right now, they're clear third line minutes, and the fourth line is really barely playing because the fourth line, they don't have an ident like they're not particularly good at any one thing. Um, oh, no, we yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, but Astonis, Blue, or Tanev, I mean, they have been scoring more than they, they did before, um, which, like, if they're a really good defensive line, energy line, but um, they, they really don't score enough to be like a good third line. Um, but I mean, as a fourth line, they'd be perfect. Uh, the problem is that then someone has to play third line and they don't have anyone to do that. Well, it was interesting because last year uh, we watched, you know, Tampa Bay the year before they, they just got knocked out of the playoffs. They didn't have a third line, right? That was part of their issue. If, if you could get past their first two lines and kind of hold them at bay and the guys that came up uh, that ended up being their third line weren't scores, but guys like Coleman, and, and guys like that really helped them, uh, you know, the, just that grinding style that, that they could they could basically they could play more than one way. I, I think that was the thing Tampa learned by getting knocked out of knocked out by Columbus in four games the year before. If you can play more than one way and I think playing in this division is going to force you to do that. I think it's just I think it's going to force you to get in there because we're going to talk a little bit more of this with Ken Campbell. There's probably going to be a good team that gets left out here. There's probably going to be a decent team that, that does not make the playoffs this year out of this division uh, just because the division is either to me, either the best division or the, the division with Colorado and Vegas and St. Louis. That's a pretty good division too. Um, but we'll see. Again, this is just a, this was a theory I've been been kicking around, and, and we'll see how it proves out if the Penguins do get in. I think one thing we can all agree on is this team isn't going anywhere if it's goal if its goaltending isn't good enough. And boy, all of a sudden, Tristan Jari uh, looks like the, the the guy that went to the All Star game last year. Dave, what have you seen in in his stretch of play here? Where I think in the last four games. A nine thirty six save percentage somewhere in that that vicinity. That's pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean he's playing. He he looks like a guy who thinks he's going to stop every shot that that comes at him, and he has pretty much at least with the ones he's been able to see. You know, every now and then he gets screened, and uh, you know if the puck doesn't hit the goalie, you know he's pretty much out of luck. Uh, but no, he's you know he's he's playing confident. He's being more aggressive, you know, early in the season. Uh, he really seemed to be hanging back on the goal line. Uh, now he's moving out uh, in his crease a little bit. Uh, he's, I think, handling the puck more than he was earlier in the season and his, his ability to handle the puck, to, to move it to his 
defensemen or forwards is uh, one of the real assets that, that he has. He, he can act almost as a third defenseman at times. Um, so, you know, th- this, um, you know, from all appearances is, you know, he's uh, made a legit turnaround from, from his struggles in, in the early weeks of the season. It, do- it doesn't seem like there's anything particularly fluky about his strong play in, in the past uh, week or 10 days. Taylor, sometimes you need your goalie to kind of steal one, not to say that take anything away from uh, Sid's night. The other night he had a couple of assists. Uh, Crystal Tang, who we're going to speak well in, here in a second, had a couple of goals. But I really thought Jari kept them in there. He kept them in there. They kind of waded into that game, and he kept, that, kept, that, kept them in the game until the offense could kind of pick it up. Yeah, I mean, Matheson said after the game that, you know, he – he was the reason they won that game, you know, hands down. Um, Jari, he's been really good in these. Um, they've had, you know, a couple of close games like that lately, and he's been really good. What, like that first, um, <laughs> the the loss against Washington when they got like outshot forty two to twenty seven, but what they only lost yeah. by like a, a goal or two, I think it was. Um, you know, he was the reason it, it didn't get like they didn't get blown out. Like he's been really good at keeping them in it in these in these close games and giving them a chance to win like they did on, on Sid's night. Dave, you just keep riding him right now. Uh, yeah. You know, they're, they're going to hit, you know, at some points uh, they have uh, three back to backs coming up in the next month, give or take. And, um, you know, certainly you, uh, you want to use Casey to Smith at some point, uh, you know, just to keep the Smith sharp and, and to make sure that you uh, don't wear Jari down, but for now, when you when you're playing, you know, every other day, and the travel isn't all that awful, you know, I would, you know, keep, you know, riding him uh, until you know you you sense that uh, maybe he's getting a little tired, or you know, that there, there's some reason to sit him, you know, when he's, uh, when he's getting his game back in order, I, I don't think you want to disrupt that. Right. Taylor, you're in uh, Washington. You'll be covering this two game set coming up. Um, the Capitals are a team that are still obviously a very, a very good team, but they're kind of going the opposite way right now with their goaltending. Their, their, their goaltending uh, has kind of, from the beginning of this year, when Henrik Lundqvist was supposed to be the, the veteran keeper that was going to be the backup, uh, Thelius Samsonov, uh, then some Samsonov ends up getting COVID. We really haven't seen much of him. Uh, they ha- ended up having to go with Craig Anderson, I think on Sunday, I think he won the game. Yeah. Now he's on the taxi squad. Yeah. Uh, can you contrast right now where the Penguins and the Capitals are in their goaltending? Uh, I mean, the Penguins have a clear number one who's healthy. Um, they do not. I think the, the Caps though, it's shown that they do have good depth that, you know, they can put in Vanacek and Vanacek, he, you know, he struggled, but he did carry them for a while there. And uh, Anderson went in, uh, like you said, and he won the game. Um, so it's nice to see that they have, like for, if you're a Capitals fan, to see that they have that depth uh, after Sam Sonov went down, because after, you know, Jari, they don't, the Penguins really don't have the same depth um, that the Capitals do. Uh, although Max Legacy, he did just play his first game in, in Wilkes-Barre, and I watched that, and he was really good, um, especially for his first game in 11 months. Uh, I mean, because he's their third goal, goaltender. Not right now, Larmy's on the taxi squad. Um, 
Legacy went down just to get some playing time. But, uh, I mean, well, hopefully they won't have to test that depth in the way that the Capitals have. But um, I think the Penguins would rather have the cleared number one who – Yes, probably, I yeah. was just going to get you there is that I – you know, well, it's nice to have two or three goalies that you can throw in there. It's Right now I think they would like to have one they can count on. And I – again, I – I think we talked about this earlier that that when the season started, the Capitals were one of those teams. I'm like, yeah, they're going to Boston, them, probably Philly are going to get in. I don't quite have that same level of confidence in Washington that I did have at the start of the season. And it, it, to me, it, it, it does go to that position. It's like, who's going to kind of emerge there as the guy that they can count on? And is, is, is Samsonov going to get healthy? Is, you, I, I still think they're, that's the guy they're kind of hoping gets it together and is their goalie. Um, Dave, could you could, can we even imagine, could, could Washington somehow miss the playoffs if they don't get that position shored up? Oh, I, I, certainly. I mean, goaltending is the most important position for any team. If you don't have that, you know, it really doesn't matter what your 18 skaters do. And, you know, I, the Capitals in, in a lot of ways are, are like the Penguins, you know, where some of their core guys, you know, are on the, uh, the backside of their careers. You know, the Ovechkins and Backstroms and people like that, uh, you know, that, that they rely heavily on. I, you know, I think there are some real parallels between the two teams. And, I, you know, the, probably the only playoff lock I would have seen you know, going into the uh, the season from this division would have been Boston, assuming it didn't have any catastrophic injuries or anything yeah. like that. And I liked Philadelphia's chances probably a bit more than most of the other clubs. But, you know, with uh, the, the Islanders and uh, Capitals and Penguins, I, you know, thought it's pretty much a toss up. And I, you know, I still think that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Last couple of days, we've been we've kind of been highlighting more and more. We're talking more about things that are going right instead of where the first week or two of this podcast, we could have just thrown picked a name out of a hat and said, this person's got to be better. Other than that, the, that third line and, and maybe the Crosby's line, it was like you could have picked somebody and said, this guy's got to be way better. And one of those guys was Chris Letang. I mean, we, we were we were kind of banging on Chris Letang a lot. And Dave, you were at the game the other night, two goals, his first two goals of the season. But what did you see just beyond the, the, the getting on the on the score sheet that impressed you? Well, it's it's not so much what I saw as as what I didn't see. I didn't see any grievous errors in judgment on his part, any passes that you know were, were ill conceived that and you know resulted in in turnovers that led either to scoring chances or to goals. I, I thought he played a, a really intelligent game. You know, it, it's great that he, for the Penguins, that he scored two goals. Uh, obviously you can't uh, count on him for that every night, but I think it is reasonable to expect him to play, you know, a smart game to make good decisions on a, uh, a regular basis so that, you know, the, uh, the thing that really catches your attention is, is if he does something, you know, for lack of a better term, stupid, rather than having that be 
you know, almost the default position. He, uh, he showed on Saturday again that he is capable of, of playing the game at, at a very high level. Uh, the, the key for the Penguins will be having him do that on a regular basis. Taylor, one of the goals, I think it was his first one, was actually a power play goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, a collector's item right now. Uh, if they could get him going in the right direction, and, and maybe this is just one step, but if they could get him going on the power play too, obviously, but just what does that do for this team? Once, if they could get the power play going now that they've got a, a bunch of players kind of going in the right direction here. Yeah, I mean, I I think that goes back to, you know, we were talking about, like, the similarities with the Capitals and, like, oh, the Penguins have the goaltending. Like, the, the Caps have the power, like, the power play. Like, they don't have the problems that the Penguins have been having. Um, I mean, that that's what – that that has to be a focus right now. Um, but, yeah, that was good to see. Uh, I think you have to – I mean, but they weren't going to let Crosby lose on his uh, his thousand <laughs> game. Um, but, I mean, like, Latang especially, uh, you heard it, like, after the game. Um, I think them talking about, like, what this meant just to, to have it with each other, like the, the thousand game. Um, I mean, I think uh, that might have given them a little extra boost on the power play just to do it for each other. But, yeah, I mean, if they can do that regularly, that would be big. But Latang, I mean, even strength he has been a problem at times too. Um, I, I think so, getting Dumoulin back would really help him. That's not saying Pio has been bad, but it seems at times um, we've seen some goals where it looks like Latang's doing maybe too much to try to help Pio, like drifting over to his side um, instead of just like playing his game. Um, yeah. So I think getting Dumoulin back would be also just huge for Latang, uh, even strength. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, but I mean. We'll see. I think that's a good observation too. I mean, I think we, I think we've all been impressed with how Pios has started, but man, this is when you're playing top line minutes uh, and as he has and playing against some really heavy teams, I thought it showed uh, in, in the games against the Capitals was the, for me, the first time I saw Pio, you know, we've talked about, he, he's got kind of, he's not a really big guy. It was the first time I saw teams kind of you know, getting significant leverage on him. Um, and then the other night, Dave, uh, last 8:45, he didn't see the ice. Uh, I, I don't know if I don't know if you call that a benching in the last eight and a half minutes, but they certainly they certainly rotated their top three or four defensemen, other than Po, in there as they were trying to close that game out. Yeah, and I mean, we we wondered at the time if he had some sort of injury, but apparently it was a coaching decision because if it was an injury it was a very minor one because uh, Joseph was back at practice on Monday and, you know, went through it with, with no difficulty. Uh, And, you know, if it was a coach's decision, you know, I, I think it was one that, that could be justified. You know, I think he, you know, uh, Joseph is not playing poorly by any stretch, but, you know, he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit after that remarkable start that he had. Uh, which is, you know, completely understandable for a, a guy his age at his position, um, you know, for him to still be on something of a, a learning curve is uh, perfectly natural. And, I mean, I, I don't think it would be unreasonable if, the, you know, the Penguins get all of their left-handed guys back healthy uh, 
for him to go to Wilkesbury uh, rather than the taxi squad just to let him play big minutes, get him on the power play, the penalty kill, just, you know, have him play almost Chris Letang minutes in, in the American League and let him develop, really, you know, give him a, uh, you know, a, a taste of, of pro hockey without force feeding the, the NHL to him. Yeah, that's an interesting point. But I also wonder if, if, if once Dumoulin does get back, if they can, they find a place for PO to maybe, if he's playing second or third line minutes, because I will say this about Sullivan. I would watch, he, he doesn't let that third line, third pair defense linger. They're not, he does not, doesn't seem like one of those coaches that, the, the, there, there's been times where John Tortorella will play his third pairing like six minutes. Uh, that does not seem to be the Mike Sullivan way. And the other point I would make is that, you know, Zach Wierenski, who's terrific young defenseman for the Blue Jackets, his first year was absolutely a wonderful year. He never saw the ice in the second half of the third period if they were leading the game because Tortorella just didn't, didn't want to put him out there. He didn't want to expose him to that. And I do wonder if some of this is Sullivan saying, look, kid, we're not, we just don't want to force feed you these heavy minutes like this game after game after game. Uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see where this goes with PO and uh, what they decide to do. I want to stick in one last topic. Speaking of losing some ice time, uh, Kasperi Kapanen, one shift in the third period uh, the other night. Um, Dave, what's going on? What did Sullivan say after the game? And what did he say Monday uh, when asked about what was going on with him? Well, I mean, after the game, he simply confirmed that, uh, you know, he had sat Kapanen for virtually the entire third period. And uh, Monday, he said that uh, he had discussed the situation with Kapanen, uh, what he wanted to uh, get out of Kapanen. Uh, but he declined to elaborate to uh, say exactly what that was or how their conversation went. Uh, I found, found that move to be a little more of a head-scratcher than uh, sitting Joseph. Mm -hmm. uh, Kapanen wasn't having a great game by any means on Saturday, but you know neither did I think he was a liability. I, I thought it was uh, a bit much to... Uh, basically yank him from the game unless there was something that happened on the bench or something, uh, some dictate from the coaching staff that he ignored, you know, something to that effect, but strictly on the basis of on ice performance. Um, I, I, am not sure that a, a benching was warranted. Yeah. We saw that with, uh, last or a week or two ago in Columbus with, uh, with lining. Where there was an there was an incident on the bench and, and he didn't replay basically the second half of the game. Yeah, Taylor, pick up on that. It, it's, sometimes you'll see guys. Sometimes coaches when a, when a guy's not going, they will move him up and down the lineup. Right? They'll they'll just maybe kick him to the third or fourth line. Uh, but in this case, it wasn't that. It was just he wasn't playing. Have you seen a fall off in his game? I know he's got only got one point in the last five games, but have you seen anything different in his when he was playing? Yeah, well, I mean, just to go back to what you said, Line, what, it came out after that he kind of had a words with an assistant coach, and that was why he got benched. Kapanen, I mean, Sullivan said that he said he didn't think Cappy had his game going tonight. He was trying to find guys that were bringing it, competing hard. Um, so that is, I mean, why, why uh, you know, Kapanen got, got benched. Uh, and that one shift he did take, it was um, 
on the bottom six. So I don't know if, um, you know, they tried it. Uh, and that one shift he, he thought, you know, wasn't worth, you know, juggling the lines around in a tight game. Um, now, I, 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 a drop-off, I don't think it's been a, a noticeable, um, not enough to get benched, uh, not maybe as quite as good as, uh, you know, like that, that first game on, on Sid's line. But, um, yeah, the drop-off enough to get benched, I, I haven't seen that. All right. Well, uh, please hang in there. We will have Ken Campbell, senior writer from the Hockey News, on our third segment. This is the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. All right, welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast podcast on DK Sports Radio, and we are delighted to be joined by our special guest. You know him very well from his fantastic coverage over the years in the Hockey News. He is senior writer Ken Campbell. Ken, thanks, thanks for, for joining us today. Tom and Dave, it's been a long time since we've seen each other, but uh, good, to, good to talk to you and Taylor as well. Well, well, thanks for, again, thanks for doing this. Hey, uh, over the weekend, big story down here in Pittsburgh, of course, was Sidney Crosby playing his 1,000th game all with the Penguins. Uh, you were obviously were covering, have been covering this league for a long time. You remember the buildup uh, to, to that draft and when the Penguins won it, and there was so much pressure on his shoulders to kind of uh, lift that franchise up again the way Mario had done it before. And since then, three Stanley Cups. Uh, I don't, can't even, I've lost track of how many gold medals he's won for your country up there in Canada. Uh, just your, as, as, as we reach this milestone with him, just your impressions of, of what he has brought to the NHL and his place in it. Well, his, in, in terms of his place in it, I mean, this, this debate's been going on in, in Canada all weekend, and I'm sure it's been going on down in Pittsburgh as well, is, you know, where his place is in the game. And, you know, there are a lot of people who suggest that he's a top five all-time player. And I... I have zero problem with that. I, I'm I'm totally in agreement. I mean, I think right now you you know you, you still sort of defer to um, Bobby or Wayne Gretzky, Bobby or Mario Lemieux as the, as the top three. But I have very I have no problem you know making the argument that you could put Sid in at number four or five. He's a he's a top five player in my mind all time. Um, <clears throat> he's you know obviously a I mean it's, it's he's a no brainer Hall of Famer. Um, and has been for quite some time, um, you know, and, he, and he's just a guy that has on, both on and off the ice. I think, you know, it's, it's, I think what makes it so impressive is that the expectations were so high and so off the charts, but he's exceeded them, <laughs> you know, right. and that's not easy to do when the hype is so high and there's so much, you know, there's so much hype around a player and there's so much expectation and so much hope for him to come in and exceed, not only meet it, but exceed it. I think he's done that in every way, shape and form. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that's um, is so amazing and, and, and here in Pittsburgh, it's talked about it so much, but I don't know if we will ever see a franchise again, and probably more the, the United States franchises because the Canadian franchises with the exception of, of Quebec uh, and I guess uh, Winnipeg the first time have been fairly solid, but, but for this to happen twice, where you bring in a just a incredible once a once a generation player to save a franchise. It's happened twice here in Pittsburgh. 
just the just the odds of something like that happening to the same franchise in the same city. Well, yeah, I mean, and I mean, I, I mean, there's been others. I mean, Chicago has kind of been saved too by Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and and the great teams that they had there as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's you know, I mean, as 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 Brian Burke was reminded when he was hired with, <laughs> they want they want a goddamn lottery, right? So uh, you know, and and good on them for doing that. And um, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, these two guys have been monumental and have been um you know on and off the ice have been this you know the saviors of this franchise um i don't know if you'll ever see it again i think you will i i I don't see why another Sidney crosby won't come along i mean you know we keep seeing these players come along i mean you know nobody would have ever thought that and then along comes Connor mcdavid and i don't know i mean i i go to a i you know when we're not locked down and, and stuck in our homes uh, I do get out to a lot of rinks to watch kids play. And the things that you see these kids doing now in minor hockey is absolutely mind-blowing. Like, I, 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 ju- I can't believe what these kids can do. So I, I, I fully expect there will be another Connor McDavid. There will be another Sidney Crosby. Will there be another Wayne Gretzky? I'm not sure about that. But, but I, I, they're going to keep pumping out these elite players and these kids are going to continue to do amazing things. Like Austin Matthews shoots the puck better than anyone I've ever seen in my life. And I think he shoots the puck better than anyone ever. Um, he has a better release, I'm sure, than like, I mean, you look at guys like Mike Bossy and Brett Hull. I think it's even better than those. Wow. Um, and this is a kid from Arizona. So I, I think these kids are going to keep coming along and they're going to keep saving franchises. And, uh, you know, I mean, in Pittsburgh, hey, you know, we can see the tunnel, right? We can see the end of the tunnel in Pittsburgh. And there is going to be a day of reckoning for this team. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it all coincides again and the stars all line up and they end up with, uh, you know, there's a kid by the name of Shane Wright who's playing right now in Kingston. I'm not sure he's on that level, but he's sort of the next guy that everybody says is going to be one of these, you know, sort of franchise-saving guys. And, you know, maybe it, maybe it happens again. I can tell you this. Living in Columbus, uh, they fully expect that as soon as Sidney Crosby retires, that the Penguins will win the lottery and get another great player. That's just how it happens. Jealousy from people outside of of Pittsburgh. Hey, I wanted to ask you, we're in some teams have gone past the quarter pole. We're about the quarter pole here. Uh, This newly configured divisions, just your thoughts on this division. The the Penguins are in this East division. They've obviously brought in Buffalo and Boston uh, what are your impressions of, of how good these teams are and Pittsburgh's place with a chance to get in the playoffs is? Yeah, well, this this is a good decision division. And, you know, I mean, I said it from the beginning. Um, you know, a good team is missing the playoffs. It's that simple. One, th- There's going to be one really good team that misses the playoffs, whether it's, you know, whether it's the Penguins or the Islanders, or or the probably not the Flyers or the Capitals, but you know you've got four spots, and you've got the Boston Bruins, the Washington Capitals, Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and New York Islanders. Um, and I think you know the Devils are a lot better than anybody thought they were going to be this year. And once they make up those games, I don't know. I'm not sure if they can keep it up, but you know there's another team that might be in the mix as well. Um, I think it's a great division. I think it might be it might be the toughest division in the NHL right now. What are your impressions of the North division and just like the style of play in that? And maybe who comes out on top there? Well, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch. 
Um, I know that the analytics guys and and girls say that uh, that the, that it's a bit of a misnomer that this is a division that's you know loosey goosey and not a good division. Uh, I'm not you know I, I guess if that's what they say, then I'll I'll take their word for it. But the eyeball test tells me that this is a this is a division that has no elite defensive teams and very few teams with elite goaltenders. In fact, you know I would argue there's maybe one, and that's the Winnipeg Jets with Connor Hellebuck, who won the Vezina last year. Um, I see, uh, you know, a lot of teams that score their way out of trouble. Uh, it's great fun to watch. I'm not sure how much it, it, uh, how, how successful it would be against a lot of other teams. I, I personally don't see, like, a super elite team. Like, I don't see any Vegas in this division. I don't see any Tampa in this division. I don't see any Boston in this division. You know, I don't see teams that are like that. Um, you know, I mean, Toronto obviously is putting up great numbers, but they're playing against a lot of teams that I think are are pretty inferior. Um, and, and I mean, you'd have to say now at this point that Toronto would be the odds-on favorite to come out of this division. But as far as a team that would be able to play the playoff style that you need to win, you know, once you get out of this division, I, I think the Winnipeg Jets would be the team that w- that I would – pick that would that would have that you know sort of you know what they talk about big boy hockey right so um you know that kind of that kind of element of play that you have to have in the playoffs to win um if i were picking a team that that would you know toronto may come out of this division but i think the team that if they can get out of this division that would have the best chance for success beyond that would be the winnipeg jets is there any element of, of the formatting in this season um, that you think might continue beyond this season? I know, like, you know, Jonathan Tate's uh, advocated for, like, series before, um, you know, to cut back on travel in the West. Is there anything out of this that you think continues? Yeah, I think maybe that. But I, I don't I, – I doubt if – you know, I mean, a lot of people here are saying keep the old Canadian division. I, I don't – I don't see that happening. It's just too – this country's just too big and far-flung, and the, play, the, the travel would be too much – um, yeah, I mean, I, I would suspect they'll probably go back to the divisions that they had before and, and then put, obviously put, um, Seattle in the, in the, uh, Pacific division, uh, once, once, uh, once they start up next year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I guess the players would probably like there to be more of these sort of, sort of, uh, you know, you stick around for a couple of days and play a few games, but, um, I'm not sure that that would be something the NHL would be too crazy about because I, I think it works pretty well. I think it, it, you know, up till this year before they had to go the way they've gone and before they've had to, you know, were forced into kind of aligning their teams this way. I thought it worked pretty well. You know, there was a lot of parody. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of close races. Um, I'm not sure you want to mess with that. Kenny, the uh, the league staged a couple of outdoor games this past weekend. Thankful, thankfully, they weren't in Winnipeg. Uh, <laughs> it, apparently, it gets a bit chilly there in the winter. Uh, but uh, you know, they they were at Lake Tahoe in California. What did you make of those games in particular? And where do you think outdoor games fit into the future of the league in general? Well, I think, you know, obviously up until this year when they did it in front of no fans, they've been a huge success. I I think personally, I think as a television spectacle, it's terrible. 
I, I don't, I, I don't think that, I don't think the product's very good. Um, you know, and, and I, I thought that Saturday was a complete disaster for the NHL. Like um, to me, for that to happen, you know, somebody dropped the ball. I mean, Gabriel Landeskog is skating through the neutral zone and all of a sudden falls flat on his face. People are falling all over the pucks, bouncing all over the place. Players can't see. There's glare. And then you have Gary Batten come out and say, well, the sun is our enemy. Well, okay. Did you not plan for the sun coming out or did you not? Why did you put the game at noon local time if the sun is your enemy? You know, I mean, I, I thought it was an embarrassment. I thought Saturday was a complete and utter, utter embarrassment for the NHL. They ended up having to postpone the game until, you know, nine o'clock local time, 12, you know, 12 midnight in the East. Um, you know, I couldn't even see the game in Canada because it was on a station that I don't get on a network that I don't get on Sportsnet one, the Sunday night game. I couldn't see it either because it was on Sportsnet one as well. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, for me, they've run their course for me. They ran their course a long time ago. I think the whole spectacle of the outdoor game is, is, um, is, is, is for, you know, the, the live audience that shows up. Um, and, and, you know, so if, if there's no one to watch, I'm not sure that that's, that that's, it's really that, that great. Um, you know, we've been talking about this at work and we were sort of saying, well, maybe they, maybe they move it to places like Lake Louise and Alberta and, and, you know, seeing the Tahoe thing and make it more of a boutique experience, you know, where it's not a hundred thousand people, maybe it's only, couple of thousand people, but they're each paying who knows what, $10,000 each for the privilege of seeing the game. I'm not sure, but um, I, I don't see them, you know, I don't see them pulling the plug on this concept because it's been very, very, very successful. But I, but that being said, I thought Saturday was embarrassing. I mean, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to appeal to a, a, the casual sports fan who doesn't watch hockey, you show one period where everybody's falling down then you say come back at midnight and and watch it again. Like I, I just to me, I can't imagine how that would have how that would have brought any more eyeballs that already weren't going to watch it to the to the, you know to their TV sets. Yeah, the ice was better what Sunday, but I mean, I know Katori said you know that the sun was still it was dangerous because he said like the first period, you know, one of them they're they're skating directly into the sun, they can't see. Yeah, it just uh, ice. Decide, I mean, it, it seems dangerous. And, I did like Batman's comment though. The sun has always been our enemy. He could have at least tried to not sound like a supervillain. <laughs> no, and that's why they should play all outdoors games if they feel that they have to stage them in Pittsburgh because the sun never shines here. <laughs> and it rains. Because it always shines in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, they no should. rains in Pittsburgh for, for games in January. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. It was kind of strange. And I know, I think it was John Moore after the game, the Boston Bruins was saying for the first period, you couldn't even tell who was who because the glare was so bad. You couldn't, you couldn't discern whether it was a guy in a white sweater or a guy in a dark sweater. Uh, So, you know, I mean, to me that, I don't know, you had how long to plan for it. You, you know, I mean, you, you couldn't have figured that this might be a problem before beforehand. So yeah, but I think they'll keep going to it because it's been wildly successful and they've made an awful lot of money off of it. And uh, and they're going to have to make up a lot of revenues in the uh, in the coming years uh, to uh, to make up for what they've lost during the pandemic. So I would I wouldn't see them going anywhere, really. 
All right. Kenny, thank you so much as always. Uh, uh, hopefully people out there continue to read your fine work in the hockey news and hopefully we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks again. Anytime, anytime. It's my pleasure. All right. And that'll do it uh, today for the 66 to 87 podcast on DK sports radio. Uh, for Tom, or for, I am Tom Reed. I do that every show now. I'll be part of my sign-up. And Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. We will see you guys again on Friday.